Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. As the name says, our, our listeners are business creators, and they fall into one or more of several different categories. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have folks who help others build their businesses. And on the other side of that coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who love to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow your business. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how our experts help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Be sure to subscribe. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated, helps us help more business creators just like you, and fresh content is added every single week. And we have almost a two-year library worth of business creation genius waiting for you now. And today, we are going to make a huge, very significant addition to that library. One of the things that comes up very frequently when we talk about leveraging our businesses, when we talk about growing our businesses beyond ourselves and working on our businesses instead of in our businesses, is the idea of building a team. And I have been around myself over 10 years in the entrepreneurial sphere. I've been part of teams. I've had teams of my own. And I know that one of the most important things you need in order for a team to work, whether it's an in-person team where you all meet in the office or a virtual team where you're perhaps scattered about the world, is trust. I have seen trust be the factor that keeps things moving through times of huge adversity, and I've seen great organizations fall apart almost instantaneously because trust is lost. And therefore, I think you really want to give today's episode some notice, and that's why we brought on board none other than John Murphy to share with us about building trust in a team. And just to tell you a little bit about John before I bring him on here, he's an experienced business coach who focuses on helping service professionals get more clients and build sustainable businesses. John is passionate about working with his clients to help them identify their ideal target market and their niche, and then building an engine that will ensure continuous flow of prospects. John Murphy coaches top business teams in a wide range of industries and on an international basis through johnmurphyinternational.com. He helps teams understand what is holding them back from delivering what they are capable of, eliminates the blockages to success, create trust, and ensure focus on what matters most of the business. And what I really like about John, he's also an expert in emotional intelligence, which is something that I've studied and have applied to what I do in my business. He incorporates this into his work to help his clients have a better understanding of their effectiveness and performance in everyday life. And what's also really cool is John hosts a fortnightly free webinar called Winning at Business and Life, which kind of sounds like helping you win at the game of business and marketing. Great minds think alike. This is going to be a real genius level episode here to support his network and be a resource to them on a continuous basis. John, welcome aboard. Adam, thank you very much indeed. And it's lovely to be here. Absolutely. Now, what I'd like to do, and this is what we typically do here in the Business Creators Radio Show, is before we dive in, because I have a lot of great questions regarding this whole topic of building trust and how it applies to teams, but what I want to do first 
is take a step back and give those of our listeners who may not have had a chance to explore what you have to offer yet a chance to get to know you a little. So just tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you where, to where you are today. Well, absolutely. We're delighted to do that. Uh, well, I said I was born and uh, lived in Ireland for, for many years. There's probably right. a bit of a hint there by, by both my accent and the surname being Murphy. There are plenty of us around there. And uh, started my career in financial services many years ago. And well, prior to that, actually, what I, I had my own business in the clothing trade. And I ran that business. I started that when I was 21. And uh, ran that business for six years, three of which were highly successful, and unfortunately, three that weren't so successful. And sadly, the three that weren't successful didn't quite fund, or that those that were successful didn't fund the ones that weren't. So I ended up, you know, uh, financially a slightly difficult place. And I needed a job, and I got a job uh, I selling insurance door to door. And I thought, that, well, sure, that'll do me until I get a proper job. But I progressed uh, within the financial services, and I went very much the traditional corporate route. Adam, insofar as became a sales manager, became marketing manager, sales director, and ultimately I moved to a couple of companies. I ended up as a CEO of a life assurance, a pan-European life assurance company in Ireland, where we had, uh, at one stage, we had over 500 staff in that. So it was quite a journey to the corporate world. But I always said, and it was a, a one-liner of mine, is that the day... I got bored or the day that I start, I thought I was repeating myself, I'd leave, which, as you know, is very easy to say that when you're neither bored nor are you repeating yourself. Right. But I suddenly realized probably about, I don't know, about 11, 12 years ago, you know, actually, CEO, we've had a, I've had a great run. It's been successful. I've built the business. But this year is, is looking a little bit like last year and next year is going to look a little bit like this year. So I thought, well... You know, was I going to live up to my own mantra or was it just simply a nice one-liner that I had? So I decided, you know, at, uh, and as you know, leaving corporate life is difficult because, you know, corporate life is great. I'd have no complaint about it whatsoever. It was very good to me. I'd like to think I was good to it. But, you know, it's very much also a fur-lined mousetrap. It's hard to leave. You're well-paid. You're well-compensated. You're well-looked after. You've got your first-class flights and your company car and all the benefits that go with it and step out to be an entrepreneur and to uh, start your own business you know some would say it was insanity for me it actually was to preserve my sanity because I really felt that I wanted to go off and do something on my own and the part of corporate life that I really enjoyed was building a team putting a team together and making that team effective because as CEO as manager any group, a leader of any group of people, you are all only as good as the uh, the team that you have around you. And it's a real, you know, it takes a lot of learning to understand how to select the right people. Then you put them together and then you mold them into a team. It's not just, you know, it's not just a question of hiring the, the, the brightest and the best, you know, throw them into a, you know, a building and hey, presto, they will become a great team. They don't, not of their own volition. So you've got to shape them, coach them, develop them, and hone them to become a really effective team. And then you've got then you've got a group of people that can take on a business and grow it. So, you know, I left there, left the corporate world, started my own coaching business. So I coach business owners with their teams, and I coach business owners one-to-one. And because I have really moved my business from being a purely offline business into being more of an online business, still work with the teams offline, 
But the one-to-one coaching I do uh, pretty exclusively online. I can be kind of based anywhere. So I moved uh, to the south of France, where I'm speaking from right now. Yes. Um, because I, yeah, I'm a real Francophile. I love France. Uh, and I liked uh, the warmer climate than in Ireland. So it also was part of the journey, part of the evolution. So that's a very quick run through about where I came from and where I've got to. Well, let me tell you this. Uh, what's really cool about what you just said is you have now taken the Business Creators Radio Show to two places. It has not been before up until now. You've taken us to Ireland and you've taken us to France. We're global, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Now there's success before we get going. Exactly. I always like to start with a win. Now this is something I was taught a long time ago. Whenever you make a plan, if nothing else, congratulate yourself for making the plan because that means you've already executed the first step in its implementation, which is the creation of same. So uh, that I I like one to start us out with a win, even though uh, we're not even basically ten minutes into this yet. Now before we get into this whole thing about building trust in teams, which as we all know everybody listening today is something that can make or break a business. What I want to do here is do something we do on every episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Here we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And a lot of our listeners write in, they comment through social media, they send us emails, and they tell me that they have everything they need to implement anything that anybody who comes to our show says they should do, except for time and money. Now, this is a question we ask every expert who appears on Business Creators Radio Show. And what I like is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of ways the question is interpreted. So, John, tell us, how do time and money impact building trust in teams? Well, if I can start by saying that, you know, people say this, this, you know, this line, oh, you know, if I just had the time and money, I could do A, B, C or X, Y, Z. And I would seriously challenge that uh, because to me it's not we have all the time that we need we have all the time we're going to get as well we ain't going to get any more and if you look at it you know whether it's Leonardo da Vinci Mother Teresa you know uh, Richard Branson or Bill Gates they all have exactly the same amount of time as you and I have Adam right. they just have spent it differently they have used it differently so it comes down to choices. So when you talk about time, I don't accept with anybody that I don't have the time. I may choose not to have the time. That's a different thing altogether. But if something is important to me, I will find a place and a time to do it because it is important to me. So I don't ever accept from anybody that, you know, I don't have the time. And I, you know, I hear it a lot of my coaching business. Oh, well, you know, as a business team, we didn't have the time. No, I'd say, no, you did have the time. You just chose to do something else with the time than that. So I think that when we look at it, if it's something is really, really important to you, then you will find the time to do it. The second one that you talk about is, is, is money. It's very interesting that, you know, we talk about it because I, was interviewing somebody uh, the other day for my own podcast, and uh, and he his his mantra and his uh, approach to business is that you know you, he started his real estate business and he's now got a very large real estate business, uh, and he also teaches people how to do that. And he started with no money and no credit rating. 
So he found a way to do it. And I think to a large extent, Adam, people use the fact that I don't have the time and I don't have the money as an excuse for not doing it. And I also think that, you know, it becomes a limiting paradigm because if I continue to say to myself, oh, I could be very successful if I just had more time and I had more money. Well, if I'm waiting to have more time and I'm waiting to have more money, then I'm never going to start. Right. So to me, it is very much, that's a mindset as opposed to anything else. It's also an excuse as to why not. And I know that might sound a little bit harsh and people get a little bit upset about me saying that, but in actual fact, it is true. It is true because I do have choices how I spend my time. I can spend it doing one thing as opposed to another. And it's all about, you know, priorities. And it was interesting to talk about priorities. I was reading somewhere recently, and I can't remember the exact century, but when we talked about, we use the word priorities. And the word priority, I think it came into the English language in the 14th century. And it wasn't until, I think, the 18th century that there was a plural of it. Because in actual fact, when you think of it, there shouldn't be a plural of priority. Priority is the most important thing. You can't have loads of the most important things. There's got to be one thing. And I think it's always understanding what you what is the most important thing? What is the number one thing that I've got to do? And then you will find a way. But if it's not important, then you won't find the time. You know, I was reading something a few days ago about how entrepreneurs and business creators spend their time and the myth that if you just put in more time in the business, you'll somehow become more successful. And what one of the points that was made is that your productivity and your effectiveness in your business actually decrease when you begin to spend too much time in it. Now, there are different statistics out there, but one that I saw that was very interesting in this one particular article is if you spend more than 55 hours a week in or you know working in your business, then you might as well just stop there because due to the law of diminishing returns, you're not going to get any more effective beyond that, and you're actually going to start losing. So if that's the case, we have to look very carefully at this whole thing and what we can do to develop our teams and develop our businesses. Because if it's the case that you know you really only have 55 hours, on the one hand, that's good news because now we can get back to having weekends and holidays again, which we think would be grand. And uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise, I think it's also good news because it'll help us organize things a little bit better. But now coming to the topic at hand... Um, how do you go about building trust? And I ask this question, uh, I think there's two parts to it. First of all, in general, how do you build trust within a team? And then also, what are the, some of the special considerations when we're talking about working virtually with people who you don't see in person and may never meet in person? Yeah, and I, and I don't think that it matters whether it is about a virtual team or whether it's a team that is all located in the, in the same building. Um, and come together on a regular basis. I think it ex is exactly the same thing. When you're looking at trust, and um, I, as you said at the introduction, and we just touched on it there, a lot of the work that I do is with teams. And, you know, very often people think, well, if I hire bright people and I put bright people together and they are all pretty good at their own areas of expertise, that the, when I add it all together, I'm going to get a high-performance team. And that is not necessarily the case. Certainly, yes, you need to have 
bright people. You need to have sharp people doing doing the jobs because you've got to have people who are effective at their roles. But when you're looking at teamwork, that's a very different thing. And you need to ensure that you are building trust, you're creating trust within that team. And when I talk about trust, I'm not talking about trust that, you know, they'll run away with the money or they're going to, you know, run out the door with the uh, the filing cabinets or anything like that. I'm talking about trust where, you know, I can be open about where I'm struggling. I can be open about where I'm making, where I've made a mistake. I can be open about, you know, areas that I need support in. I can be open and reach out to others. And I can do that in a way that I'm not going to feel that I, oh gosh, I'm leaving myself vulnerable. One of the things that I've, that I've learned in, in, in corporate life, and it's, a, it's an indictment against corporate life, and I'm generalizing, but in general, this is true, that so much time of the senior executives in the corporate world, so much of their time is taken up by managing the politics. Right. within the organization and not actually on running the business. And the organizations where that happens, that is a clear indication of where there is an absence of trust. Because where there is trust, I have to be able to be vulnerable. I have to be able to demonstrate where I'm struggling, where I need help, where I need support, what are the things that are going wrong, who can I pull in from some place some other part of the organization? But the organizations that don't have trust are locked down in their silos. Or I'm not going to say that I've got a problem because I know damn well that if I say that Adam is going to have a cut at me and he's going to use the information to actually get some mileage on it. So you've got to create an atmosphere. And that's where you start. You've got to create an atmosphere whereby it is okay to be open and vulnerable, but it is also okay to challenge, that I feel that I can challenge you, Adam, in the room, or virtually, it makes no difference, that I can challenge you and say, hey, Adam, you said you were going to deliver something by this Wednesday, and it is now Friday, and you haven't delivered. What's the problem? But I can challenge you without it being, I'm having a go at you, or I'm having a cut at you, or right. I'm scoring points of you. And it, has, it is the ability to have that culture of trust within a team that is going to make a massive difference to the organization. You know, I could, if I wanted to put time into this, because this, this isn't really where my business is going and not something I want to focus on, but if I had all kinds of discretionary time and wanted to do some storytelling, I could uh, share my experiences in corporate myself and how so many things you hit on just within what you've shared within the past couple minutes run rampant. I myself was in corporate for six or seven years before I went into entrepreneurship full-time in 2005. And I remember one company, uh, some of the first advice I was given by my supervisor is, uh, you know how it is when you come to prison. You want to make sure you know who you're making friends with. So great. It's my first day and I'm already being told to think of it like it's prison. Way to go. And in my experiences with that particular organization, you said something that I found to be something that I pretty much encountered on an almost daily basis is that is that the upper management of the organization seemed, at least to me, uh, you know, they may have a different point of view, but you know, in the, in the point of view I have wasn't mine alone. That there was so much emphasis on the politics of things and people's 
value being based on where they fall on the org chart uh, that there really wasn't any room for trust. Uh, just to give you an example, it would not be far-fetched. Like you also gave the example of, let's say that, you know, you and I were working together and I said, you know, I'm going to have this to you by Wednesday. And so Friday comes along and not only don't I have it to you, but I've not properly communicated to you that, you know, maybe I hit a snag, uh, maybe I was out ill, or maybe, uh, you know, the the project has become bigger than I thought it was, and I didn't reach out to you for help or clarification. So you come to me on Friday, and you know, you're know you not trying to confront me or anything. You're just saying, hey, what gives? I need your piece of the project so I can move forward. And you may even couch that helpfully with, is there anything I can do to support you here, anything I can do to help you along, or something like that. Now, I've seen in some companies, and I've heard stories about this, where um, if the person who owed you something outranked you in the in the org chart and you came to them with that type of question where they were supposed to get something to you by Wednesday and it was Friday and they haven't delivered it, it was actually your fault they didn't deliver it. <laughs> uh, you, la you, you, la you laugh, but uh, we watch these shows like Office Space and we watch the Dilbert cartoons and I think so many yeah. of our listeners, whether they're still in corporate and looking to do things better or have left corporate and have gone into entrepreneurship – recognize these things as something that they or somebody they know have experienced. Yeah, absolutely. And let me tell you something, Adam, actually. One thing, interesting, when you're talking about that, I worked with an organization some months back. And uh, where it's a kind of medium-sized business, business that's in the, kind of the second phase of growth. But talking to the CEO and saying to me, saying to me that, oh, well, you know, our our customer service department and our and our, our sales department, they're just at loggerheads, right? Uh -huh. And he said, you know, we really need to get in and sort that out. And I said, well, I said, you know what happens? I said, if you look at how the top team in the organization behave, that's kind of how the rest of the organization behaves too. So if you don't like the behavior that you see within your organization, well, take a very close look at the team that you've got around you. Because I said, if you're telling me that, I bet you the head of customer service or whatever the title is, or the head of sales, whatever the title is, I'd say they don't relate to each other well. And he said, well, no, they don't really get on. But why should that matter? I said, because in the organization, everybody knows what goes on at the top table. And if you don't believe that, you're naive. Right. And they know the games that are got. They know where the cracks are. So they know there's no trust. So if you're not demonstrating trust as a top team, you're not going to have trust down through the organization. And that plays out in all sorts of ways. And don't forget, when we're talking about trust, Adam, I'm not talking about trust so that people get all, you know, lovey-dovey and are pre-hugging. Right. You know, I'm, I'm talking, you've got to have trust for in order to have a strong, valuable profitable entity. Yeah. And without the trust, you have people looking over their heads all the time, uh, waiting for the knife to come plunging at their back, hoping they can deflect the blow in time. Uh, and, you know, how does that contribute to how does that contribute to productivity? And I've seen organizations, I've heard stories of organizations where so much time is spent on these conversations about rank and authority and blame and uh, who's going to take the hit that, you know, you'd think if they just set all that stuff aside and maybe they could get something done. Absolutely. And, you know, what, what is required is of any business, and I 
you know, I drone on about this to, to clients that they get, you know, tired of listening to me in some ways. But I really go on. You've got to have very great clarity around your vision and your mission. Right. Because that then becomes not just because I've come from a corporate background and there's, you know, there are words that are used. I'm just talking about have them written in your language that they mean something to you. And then that becomes the context. And then it's actually easier to identify what sort of behavior do we want to have at the at the at the at the top table and then how does that cascade down to the rest of the organization i'm a great fan of of um patrick lencioni who wrote the five dysfunctions of a team and right. you know and he would he talks about the, you know it's it's everything is based on trust and he would you know articulate it in a way where you know if you don't have trust what happens is that, you know, that is a consequence of that, is that you've got this fear of conflict. And with this fear of conflict that, well, you know, I'm not going to say anything and we might even have an unspoken agreement. Well, I won't have a go at your area, Adam, so then you won't have a go at mine. Right. And or I'm not going to you know, show any weakness where there is that kind of fear of conflict. You know, he would say that, that con- the consequence of that is this artificial harmony and that as a consequence is the lack of commitment. Because if we're playing this game, how can I be committed to anything? I'm actually just committed to the game, not the result and not the outcome. And where that lack of commitment, Lencioni would say, there's an avoidance of accountability, which results in low standards. And of course, after that is the, the, it's just inattention to results. So the long-term objectives of the business get completely lost in the game that we're playing, but sometimes we don't even know that we're playing it. And that's the scary bit. Wow. That is something right there. And I encourage all of our listeners to take a moment, well, not now, at the top of the hour, after we finish with John here, but take a moment and look at your situation with your team and ask yourselves, are you committed to playing this game of the illusion of camaraderie? Or are you committed to results in your business? How many times do you think that we may subconsciously look at the situations we're in and basically pretend like we're all friends? Yeah, and, also, and what, you know, yeah, Adam, what is that doing to your productivity? Absolutely, but also, you know, healthy conflict is healthy. Yes. You know, it, there's no harm in you and I having, having a disagreement over something. Because A, we have created this atmosphere of trust. A, we know it's not personal, that I'm not trying to score points of you or vice versa, right? We're having uh-huh. a healthy uh, conflict. And that conflict, because we all need a bit of stress. We all, you know, we talk about stress as being something that is absolutely to be totally avoided. And yes, we want to avoid excessive stress. But a certain amount of stress is good for us because that actually makes us reach further, drive harder, go that extra yard and that's all good for us and in a team you want to have healthy conflict where there is debate argument and you know now and again a bit of a row that's fine as long as we have created this place of trust whereby we can have that but it stays within the room it stays within that group and we've resolved it and it's not personal that i like that i like because there is sometimes conflict, there's sometimes a confusion between 
conflict versus argument or whatever label you want to put upon it, uh, where it is okay to not agree with people all the time, and it's okay to have an exchange of ideas, and it's okay to to have disagreements. Uh, the fact that these things exist does not mean that there's disharmony or lack of unity or that, oh, and I, and I love this one because now we're going to talk about hierarchies again, where the person who is lower on the hierarchy, so to speak, needs to get tuned into what's going on. I just love that one to yeah, pieces. And I think you've seen that yeah. once or twice too. It's not a matter of it's not a matter of, well, we just have you know, we just have two different opinions or two different approaches. So, you know, let's work together and see what we can find here. It's a matter of, well, the person lower on the totem pole needs to get with the program and get aligned with our mission. Come on. Yeah, and you know, everybody if you've got people sitting around that table, whether they're doing it physically or they're doing it, you know, online, virtually, you know, everybody has a voice to contribute and you've right. got to allow it. And also you've got to, and the leader of the team has a massive part to play in this because the leader of the team has got to create that atmosphere and got to allow it. And I mean, we've all seen examples where, you know, the boss man well, you can't, you know, you can't argue with John because he's got his views on this and, and you know, ne'er the twain shall meet. You know, there can't be those sacred cows or you could never raise that with him or right. her or whatever it might be. Everything has got to be up for grabs and there's got to be a healthy debate. And it's not about the hierarchy or I'm more senior to you or, you know, I report to you, so therefore I don't challenge you. If you get into that sort of game playing, the, truthfully, the game is over for you, in my view. And right. the organizations, and I've seen them down through the years, the organizations who are unhealthy and are lacking trust do not progress as well. There is no doubt about it. And there's been a lot of research done over the years. I mean, if you take, going back to you know Jim Collins, Good to Great, and the, the great work that he's written about, you know, and his, his philosophy was, you know, get the right people on the bus to start with. Yes. He, he didn't say he didn't say get the brightest people on the bus. You know, he didn't say get the most qualified people on the bus. Get the the right people on the bus for your business, because I know as as a you know as a, a former CEO, I've got strengths, but I also have weaknesses. Of course. But if I recruited everybody who was the same as me, we might all get on famously and have a great time. But we all believe our own rubbish, right? Yes, you're very right. Challenge. I, I know. I, I need to have people with contrarian views and 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 approaches around me so that you know, we you get the healthy challenge. I mean, right. I you know I see you. I had a finance director that you know he probably drove me mad, and I and I know I drove him mad. But you know we needed each other. We needed that counterbalance between us um you know for the sake of everybody and you need to have that so it's about getting those right people around the table and then forming them into that team that they trust each other and then they can take on anything because when you've got the trust their focus is outward looking not inward looking they're focused on where the business is going not on the games where people are playing right yeah I mean, I think you and I agree on this wholeheartedly. I mean, we've got some genius-level thinking here. So what can leaders do, aside from some of the things you've already covered here in terms of how we foster certain communication styles and how we look at how we define agreements and disagreements, but what other things can leaders do to create teams where there's trust? 
Well, you know, I, met, I touched on it earlier on. I mean, when you talk about a leadership role, the leader, the leader has got to be the guardian, to my mind, has got to be the guardian of, you know, the, the vision, the mission, and the culture of the business. Now, he's not the only person involved in that, but, you know, the leader has got to make sure that the vision of the, of, the, of, the, of the business is crystal clear, that the mission of the business is crystal clear, and that we have defined the culture that we want. Because, you know, and people talk about culture kind of, what do you mean by culture? Well, to me, you know, if you listen to the conversations at the proverbial water cooler, that tells you what the culture is. You know, is there a culture of trust? Is there a culture of mistrust? don't care what it says in the manual. I don't care what it says in the annual report or whatever, wherever it might be. You listen to the conversation that goes on around the organization. That tells you what the culture is. So how do people behave with each other? How do they interface with each other? How do they communicate with each other? That's about the culture. So the leader needs to make sure that the vision, the mission, and the culture are very clearly defined. What I do experience, Adam, on, on occasions is that People say, oh, right, okay, we've got to get our vision and our mission and all of that nailed. So we'll do a piece of work, and then we do that and we say, great, now that's done, and we get on with the business. And we forget about it, right? Because the, but the vision and the mission is that gives the context, and the leader needs to be continuously reminding his team and then cascading that down through the organization of what the vision and the mission is. So people actually remember the banner they're following and not just the thing that's in front of their nose right now. So the leader is really, really important in terms of actually being the, the guardian, the caretaker, and you know the person that really is the, 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 the vanguard and speaker of the, the vision, mission, and, and, and culture. The leader then also wants to make, needs to make sure that they walk that talk, that it's not you know what I say and what I do, they're, they're, it's not congruent. And that's where people say, well, and they see that, you know, he doesn't believe in us. You know, he said that, but he does this. So you've got to make sure that, you know, you're walking that talk and the decisions that you make, how, not, not just the decisions that you make, but how you go implementing those decisions are congruent with the vision, the mission, your values, and the culture that you have. And that everything is seen through there. And that the, then the leader spends time coaching the team and coaching the individuals within the team. And I'm making, I'm kind of saying there are two pieces of work there. You got to coach the team in terms of determining the sort of behaviors, how you want your top team to behave, and then coaching one-on-one. -on -one. And very often people, you know, don't separate coaching and managing. To me, you know, Adam, you manage process, you manage things, you manage widgets, you know, but you coach people. And right. you coach people to develop and grow. And I think, you know, if the leader embraces those elements, then, you, you know, they're going a long way towards, you know, delivering on what their objectives are. That's great. Now, some of what we teach uh, in terms of business development can be best shared through stories. And do you, John, have any stories of monumental failures that you have seen through your work? I mean, obviously, you can change the names and the dates to protect the innocents. Uh, just some of the more galactic failures um, in organizations that have led to trust in teams being destroyed. Wow. Yes, I could. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I certainly need to protect the names, but I can... 
You know, I, I tell you the story of one organization um, that, 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 that I worked with, and I will not mention any names, but from the, you know, the CEO contracted to do a piece of work because um, really, really felt that there was, you know, no trust in the team. Well, that probably wasn't the words here, but the team was not working well together. And it had been in an industry that had absolutely had rocketed, right? I mean, just huge growth. Earning power was absolutely enormous. They were, you know, all earning, you know, a kind of the, the senior team were all, all earning kind of half a million per annum plus, right? And I'm not joking, the whole team were. And so this was a seriously, you know, big earning team. But the culture in the team was really poor. And of course, what happens in any business that flies that high, that fast, in a market that is going up that fast, what happens is like, like shares. You know, there is a downturn. It can't keep on going up in a straight line. And when the downturn happened, what they realized was they had learned nothing about actually managing and growing the business. And their response, if there was an issue, and if I came along to you and you, Adam, you were the CEO, and I was unhappy about something or other, you would take your checkbook out and say, listen, with 10,000, 20,000, would that keep you happy? I would say, yes, I'd take the check and I'd walk away. Right. But the issue was never dealt with. The issue was never, ever dealt with because that was just the checkbook way of defining it. Right. Of course, what happens when you go start, when you have a dip, is that you're not able to take out the checkbook. Now we're expecting to actually deal with it and manage it, but we have no clue how to do it. So there was no vision. The only vision was the individual vision to make as much money as I could. And that coincided with the operating market where they, they, and the market drove them. But when the downturn came, as a dip will inevitably come, then that business did not have the tools, did not have the wherewithal, did not have the trust in place, did not have a unified and aligned vision. And that business went seriously in decline and ended up being sold. Wow. For a fraction, for a fraction of what was it had been worth a number of years previous. And it was absolutely, and I have, I worked with that team and I have met many of them since and they have, some of them have learned the lesson, some of them haven't. And they would all say that actually was what killed them. It wasn't the market downturn in the market that killed the business. It's that they did not have the wherewithal, the skills, the knowledge, and did not have a unified, aligned team to challenge and to deal with the business challenges that they were facing. But the challenges were coming from the outside. But they had so many challenges internally that it just, they devours themselves to a large extent. And it's sad because this was a business that, you know, could have actually continued on, could comfortably have weathered the downturn in the market, to be very honest with you, because others did. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they were, you know, a casualty of their own making. And this is where when you have a team that is fit to play, you know, and we've seen this in sporting analogies, you've got to keep them match fit. You've got to keep them focused. You've got to keep them sharp. And that's on the skills about dealing with people and dealing with each other and in working together to be effective. Because, 
you know, you put six people together, it's not just the sum of those six people. You know, the team should be worth a multiple of what those six individuals are coming because when you leverage each other, that's what you get. But if you have six, eight, ten people together and all they're out for is just for their own little silo, then you have no leverage. And then when the trouble comes, the challenge comes, you know, as it inevitably will with any business, you have nothing with which you can combat the challenges that you're facing. So that's one example. And I could give you, I could give you many others. I've, I've worked in, in organizations where, you know, the, the business actually is going quite well, but the, the relationship between people at the very top is, is dysfunctional. They're, they don't get on together. They don't trust each other. And while the business might be growing, but it's a bit like driving a car with the handbrake on. They're not going anywhere near their capacity. So, you know, I could, I could speak for hours about teams that I've seen that are dysfunctional. And, sure. and I could certainly... <laughs> Sorry, I was just turning off the phone there. Because, um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I apologize, I meant to turn that off beforehand. But I could, t- I could tell you legion of stories about companies that I've seen perfectly good companies with a good proposition, and that's not enough. You've got to get the team to get on the bus and drive it. But it's the right people sitting in the right seats, doing the right things, and working cohesively together. Yeah, it's funny how this can happen from, from within. And I have seen in my own life so many cases, unfortunately, where you spend years building up this trust in the organization and then next thing you know, all the trust just evaporates and it's sometimes just one poorly spoken phrase or one poorly conceived action and everything just goes by the wayside. And sometimes it's not even something that's directly done to a person in the team. Perhaps it's something they see done to something somebody else within the team that makes them think, wow, if it can happen to them, it could happen to me too. Best pack, my bags. And one of the things that I would say in a team, and, and I've seen this happen. I've, I mean, I've been part of a team where, where, where I've seen this happen, but I've seen it happen in loads of organizations. What a risk can be to a team where you've got a really high performer, a really, you know, in their own field, but they're not a team player. Okay. Right? They're, they're, they're a great, you know, great, great performer but they just are, it is absolutely about themselves. It is absolutely only about them. It's about their power. It's about their ego. And no matter how good they are, if you allow that behavior to be played out within a team, it is a cancer in a team. And it can be a very difficult and challenging decision to make, but I would absolutely say it to any business owner, CEO, if you have somebody, I don't care how good they are, and very often you see it as kind of a sales, particularly in sales, can be in sales, it can be other, but it can be very demonstrative that they're bringing in the sales, they're bringing in, you know, we can't do anything about, you know, Jimmy because he's the, you know, he's the salesperson, he's the salesperson. If that person is damaging the culture of the organization, get rid of them. Because the cost of keeping them is far greater than anything they will bring in the door. And I've seen this in, in, in top teams where, you know, the team is working quite well together. Somebody comes in, it may not be that very often, it's not the CEO, but somebody comes in, it joins that team and is 
politics is their number one game. Right. That person could destroy that team. And you do have to remove them. And you've got to accept in a team that, you know, you can't, you can't win all the time with all the players that you're putting together. If you have found when you're selecting the team, you know, that the first time around there are one or two that don't fit, make the decision to move them on. It's only fair to them and it's only fair to the business. And it's only fair to the rest of the team. You have to have a team that is aligned to each other, that are going to function well together, and then you will have a successful business. The easy option is say, we'll tolerate it. We'll put up with it. Oh, it's, well, it's just the way he, he or she behaves. Not good enough, I'm afraid. That's the easy way out. It's the cowardly way out. And it's the, you know, the path of least resistance. Absolutely argue about it. Difficult to do, and I know it. And I know that as CEO, I had to do it. And it was really hard. Really, right. really hard. But if you don't do it, you are a hostage to fortune. I've heard the phrase... Hire slowly, fire quickly. How true is that? <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of truth in it, to be honest with you. I mean, I think, I mean, nobody wants, I, I, don't, I don't like a hire and fire organization in the sense that you and I would understand what we mean by that. Sure. Uh, and because I think that that's, that's not the correct culture. But I do think certainly you've got to hire slowly and you've got to be very, very clear about, you know, the sort of person that you want to bring in. And, you know, very often people spend a lot of time looking at, you know, the CV and what their, what their technical and educational qualifications are. But fit is a big part of that. You've got to really try and figure out. And, of course, you don't know it absolutely until the person joins. But you've got to do as much as you can to make an educated guess how they fit. In terms of firing quickly, I would say, you know, I, I'm a great believer. Nobody, nobody likes firing anybody. And the day that you do it easily, quite honestly, is the day that you shouldn't be doing the job. But, you know, if you have done, if I have got somebody, I'm the boss of this team, and I've got somebody in the team that is either not performing to the level they should or is difficult or is not fitting in, I hire them. I have got the responsibility to do everything that I can do and to help that person become effective. However, once I have actually done everything and walked that person through all of the processes, all of the support, all of the coaching, all of the training, and it's still not working out, then I've got to make the decision to move that person on. And then it's the right thing to do for everybody. Because, but I've got to be able to look at myself in the mirror when I'm shaving in the morning and be satisfied that I can look myself in the mirror and say, I've done everything that I could do. If I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I can't say that, then I've got to do whatever it is that I haven't done. But once you have done everything and it just hasn't worked out, then I would say, yes, fire quickly, if that's what we mean by it. Yeah, I, I just put out that phrase here, and I wanted you to elaborate upon it and apply it to this whole idea of team building and building trust, because I've also seen organizations that are so quick to fire that it kind of debilitates trust. I, I can tell you, back when I uh, finished my undergraduate studies and I interviewed for a position with uh, a particular organization. I'm not going to say the industry it's in because it doesn't really matter for what I'm about to say. Let's just say that the position that I was in was pretty much a sales position. 
Now, the first clue I had that we had an issue was the person who was interviewing me, who was going to be my supervisor if I was offered a job and accepted it, showed up a half hour late and then said, oh, I don't really go by the calendar. I should have right there, uh, and especially since I was coming in extremely early before I went to the job I already had, that right there was clue number one. Now, there's something that transpired during that interview that should have had me saying, you know what, this has been fun, but I have to get on to my job now, have a nice life, and here it is. The The company had been there for... About 20 years. Uh, in fact, right around the time I interviewed was uh, they were ramping up for their 20 and 20 year anniversary celebration. As a matter of fact, uh, they had because I asked, they had 24 employees, and I was told that if I stayed there a year, that one of the perks of being there for a year is they put your name on the front door. When I looked at the front door, there were four names on the on the door. There was the owner, the co-owner the owner's daughter, and the administrative assistant. What happened yeah. to 21 people within the course of a year? I did, um, I did get offered a job there. I accepted it. This is one of those learning things in life. I found it to be one of the most untrusting, unemotionally hygienic places you could be. And in the exactly eight months and 16 days that I stayed there, I saw the employee uh, roster turnover by about, I don't know, about 80%. And I, wow. no- and I yeah. noticed, and I noticed in my, in about the last three or four weeks there, I noticed, I mean, at the time I was 22 years old and I it was my first time out in the world and there were some things I didn't realize, but things that I would look back right now uh, with knowing what I know now and say, oh, these are the obvious signs that you're about to be fired. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, know, and, and yeah, and, yeah, and a friendly face there made a comment to me that I didn't recognize uh, the, the meaning of until afterwards. Somebody there who I actually viewed as being a friendly face, shall we say, um, said something to the effect of, uh, you know, you're coming up on your one year, and uh, if so, you'll be the first person. You should be proud. Well, you know, I mean, as you said earlier, I said at the very beginning of that, that the, the first indicator to you, yeah, 22 years of age, hell, yeah, we've all learned a lot since then. Yes. But 20, you know, it, it, the first indicator to you, the first one's half an hour late. And that's that's a lack of respect. You know, I don't buy the, you know, I don't go by the clock or whatever it might be. That's a, that's a lack of respect. And respect and trust are very close to each other. And, you know, therefore, where there's no respect, then where where do you go from there? You know, right. there just is, you know, there's really nowhere you can go. Then you're, you're, it's just about being the commodity that I just produce a result for you and you pay me and that's the contract and that's it. There's nothing more than that. And that, you know, very easy to look back now and say, I should have actually recognized it then and walk away. But we've all been in similar situations like that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when, you, when, when your gut tells you something like that, you should listen to it. Yeah, you know, you know, if the person had told me something like this, for for example, if they had something said something like, "Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, I'm late. There was a major accident out on the freeway, and I couldn't get around, and I didn't have your Absolutely. number, so I couldn't call you," then I would have said, then I would have looked at their complexion, and if I saw that there was a little bit of tension in their face, and like the like the hint of a <sighs> from just running up the steps, uh, hoping they weren't too late, and I'd walked out on them, I would have said, 
Oh, dear. Well, let me make it a better morning for you. I would have done something like that. But for them to say, oh, I don't really go by this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it, it is about that relationship that starts right. off one way. If the relationship starts off badly, it's very hard to get to a better place. That's another key point, too. Um because I know one of the impacts of destroying trust, and I know we have about uh, eight minutes left here, one of the impacts of destroying trust, you know, it takes a long time to build trust and a very short time to destroy trust. So one of the questions that I want to end on here is, let's say that something happens in your organization within your team, and maybe it was unintentional, maybe it was a faux pas, maybe it's something where somebody just lost their head and said something they shouldn't have said, but lo and behold, all that work building trust has now been shattered. Uh, I Again, I know I'm not really giving you any specifics here, but in such a scenario, generally speaking, is there potentially any hope of saving the situation, and if so, how? And the reason I ask this question oh. is because our listeners who knew that you were going to be on the Business Creators Radio Show came to me, and I got two separate emails that both said to the effect of, you know, I really blew it this one time, and uh, and I ended up losing a very great person who was working for me, and I regret it because I've never found anybody as good. If only I hadn't blown up on him that day. Well, yeah, and, and you know, the truth is, Adam, we've all been there, and we've yeah. all done it. I mean, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I was talking, I referenced uh, Patrick Lencioni's book, the five dysfunctions of a team, and he called it five dysfunctions of a team because people, we are all by nature dysfunctional. You know, we are not perfect human beings. And of course, there are going to be times where I would lose it, where I say the wrong thing, where I do the wrong thing because I'm a human being. And that's not an excuse, but it just is an explanation as to why it happens. Right. And I give you, I give you an example I had in, in, in a team uh, you know, quite recently where this was something that it was a miscommunication. It just was, you know, it, it, it wasn't intentional. But the miscommunication, the way it happened, and I'm not going to go into detail, but had significant ramifications for a number of people. And it created, it wasn't handled well, and it just blew up, right? Absolutely blew up. And had the potential to be a real showstopper in, for, that, for that business. But because the business had, you know, we had worked together, we created this, this place where there's trust and where there's openness, they were able to go back and have a conversation and say, okay, how did this go so wrong? How did this end up where we're upset, we're fighting with each other, we're kind of bickering with each other, we don't want to necessarily see each other in the same room right now, or <laughs> we're, just ang we're just angry, we're hurt. So they, they came together themselves and sat down and said, well, how did it happen? And then they just unpacked it. I kind of said, okay, well, this is where I'm done. Yeah, it wasn't my intention. I wasn't trying to do that. This, So they were able to talk it through. And where there was openness, where there was openness to actually have the conversation about the issue, but also is recognizing that the issue they were talking about was the real issue. It wasn't that there was another issue, but this was just a symptom of it. This was just happened because somebody did something wrong and it just grew arms and legs and went all over the place and created a lot of unhappiness and a lot of a lot of tears and a lot of angst. 
But because they had it, they were able to bring it back and have the conversation. And I think, you know, you will get situations because, you know, we don't live in a Pollyanna world. You know, things are going to go wrong. Things are going to happen in a team. There's going to be, you know, for the best one in the world, there'll be times when, you know, I will irritate you, Adam, or you will irritate me. And we'll have a blow up and it will be a bit personal. But beneath it all, we have the relationship to come back and say, hey, Adam, listen, sorry, didn't mean it. Got out of hand. I got a bit heated. Let's go and have a beer or coffee, whatever it might be. And you sort it out. But, you know, in most situations, in the vast majority of situations, you can undo the damage that has been done if everybody is prepared to sit down and take responsibility for their piece. And, you know, everybody will have a little piece of it. They won't. Some people will have more than others, or maybe even one person will have 90% of it. It doesn't matter. But everybody will have a little piece of it. And it's actually taking ownership of that little piece and then figuring out and say, okay, have we dealt with it? Can we put it to bed? Okay, we put it to bed. And then you move on. But then you do move on. And you do move on from that in a way. So, you know, I don't think it's ever at the end of the world because we don't live in a perfect world. And we're not perfect people. So it is going to happen. And with the best one in the world, with the most aligned team in the world, with the most open and trustworthy team, you're going to have fallouts. It's a bit like families, isn't it? You know, there are rows. There are things that come up. It's going to happen. But it's your ability to do something about it. You know, and it's your ability to deal with the issue that has come at you and do something with you. And I suppose it's true. It's going back to saying, you know, it's not... It's not what happens to you that matters. It's how you respond to what happened to you that matters. And and I think it's the teams that have got that. But the teams that are equipped, that are that are open, that are have trust, and that have confidence in each other, they're better equipped to deal with it and to move on from it. The teams where there is no trust, that's tough, and that's hard. And if the, if there is an explosion then perhaps then that explosion can be the catalyst to start building trust. But if it's just an explosion and it's not dealt with, it just adds to the malignancy of that team. Right, right, right. And I, and I think that that's a really good thing for us to think about as we close up here because it is possible to fix it if it happens. But you have to look at the work you've done throughout to build the groundwork and build the trust. Uh, you know, very little in this world, other than de- death and taxes, are permanent, in my personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Ain't, ain't that the truth? Yeah. So, John Murphy, I want to thank you so much for being here. I want to give you, because we have just uh, 90 seconds left here on the episode, I want to give you this one minute. Tell us how you serve our business creators and how folks can engage with you if they want to take this to the next level. Well, thank you. I don't, I listen, it's been a real pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been a great chat. I mean, to be honest with you, I. I kind of forgot that we we're doing an interview. We we're just having a good, a good discussion. <laughs> That's but how where we like I to do work, it. I, absolutely. Where I help you know business owners and leaders to to have high performance teams and to develop you know leaders and successful people in their organisation. Please, anyone, go to my website www.johnmurphyinternational.com or contact me. My email is john at johnmurphyinternational.com. Love to hear from any of your listeners. Happy to answer any queries. If you go to my website, there's a ton of material and goodies that you can get to take away to help you to kind of build your businesses. So it's been a great pleasure. 
Outstanding. And I'll remind all of our listeners that all of our guest experts, including John Murphy, have profiles at Business Creators Radio Show where you can find their website, their social media, and you can engage with them on the terms that work best for you. So again, John Murphy, thank you so much for your time and uh, with us today. It's been both an honor and an education. Thank you indeed. It's been my pleasure. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to tune in for our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.